Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. And we are here to share a true crime story that Austin's never heard of. Shocker, because I've never heard of any of them. So, um, I do apologize that this is a little bit late because usually I post like Thursday night so that they, they post early Friday morning and everyone has it for Friday, but it is Friday evening currently. We're a little behind cause we went on vacation. We was beaching. So freaking sue us. Freaking sue us. What are you going to do about it? We went on one vacation. Yeah, one vacation and you're going to sue us over it? Yeah, get over it. You guys are freaking... Anyway, we have new Patreons to thank. Shout out your loon... Oh, shout out your Patreons, not your loon ticks. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's safe to say true crime fans are kind of lunatics. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of loony. You guys are all weirdos. We're a little loony. Okay, anyway, we have a few to thank. So I think we left off with Holly Roche. So Molly Turner, Lindsay Johnson. Molly and Lindsay, dope. (laughs) Every time. What am I going to learn? Keep going. Taylor Hartzell. And Brandon Schofer, which I think actually might be Carrie Schofer under her husband's email address. If I'm right... You using let me know. your husband's money to <laughs> but, pay for a Patreon. But when I saw that, the name, it said Brandon, but I was like, I imagine it's probably Carrie, actually. Anyway, who cares? Who you guys don't cares? You guys don't care. Carrie cares. Nobody else Maybe probably Brandon cares. Sorry, cares. I'm rambling. All right. So today, we have a crazy story. I've been wanting to cover this for a while. I started covering it like a couple months ago. Like I started writing the episode and then I got distracted and I never finished it. And here we are. I How am going to tell you. How many hours do you put in an average episode, Kelly? Cause it's a lot. And I it's a lot. That. Um, I usually 10? put in about four to five hours per episode and sometimes seven or eight. I sometimes more if it's a longer. And sometimes she's watches like every documentary under the sea about them that you guys can even find. Cause she's so deep in the archives and she reads all these articles. Yeah, that's true. It probably does I, take me longer than get, that. I bet you got, I bet you got four to nine hours. Yeah, because I'm talking about like the time it takes me to write the episode because they always turn out to be about six pages. Six pages is my goal. But you have a crap ton of info in them. But it always starts a little bit earlier and kind of goes on afterwards because I'll listen to like YouTube videos or podcasts about some episodes too just for like the added things that I don't add in the script. She'll have stuff that like every other person says this about them and they don't know if it's true and she's like verified it and she wanted to make sure she was right because she's a little perfectionist and she'll have checked it like seven different places and called the family. I don't call families and I'm (laughs) not always, always right. I'm sure there's times I've made a mistake. Like for example, last episode, remember I was confused on how to pronounce that place, Chili, that looked like Chili. Mm -hmm. It's Chai Lai. Someone told me Chai Lai. So I like being corrected. I like, I like to know. I want to be corrected. Stay humble. Some people can't stand to be corrected. Not me. (laughs) Be humble. She don't like being corrected by me though. Let's get into the show. All right, so this story takes place in Kalamazoo, Michigan. This is halfway between Detroit and Chicago. Kalamazoo. Kind of a small, big town, if that makes any sense. Shoot, I don't know. I bet it's 100,000. 
It's up there. But um, we're going back to February 20th of 2016. Okay. I like, I got to say something. Mm-hmm. I like when they're semi recent cases because I feel like it just hits different when you say 2016 or 2007 or something versus like this one goes all the way back to 1959. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. So most of us are pretty familiar with Uber and how to use it. But for those of you who may not know, Uber... If you don't know how to use Uber, you live under a rock. Just keep going. Uber's a ride-sharing program like a taxi cab. Where you request a ride through the app, and a nearby Uber driver can view and accept that ride. And once they do, you get a notification of who's coming to get you, what their car looks like, what they look like. Babe, it's 2021. Austin, it's pertinent to the story, so would you just be quiet? Yeah. Thank you. Let us explain. Anyway, what Uber is. so you can actually view their whereabouts as they come to get you. And then after the ride, you can leave them a review, pay for the ride through the app, and the driver gets a compensation and you go about your day. Okay? It's it's all gonna come together later. You are so <laughs> Just rude. Kidding. Go ahead. If you are not familiar with Uber and you've never taken an Uber, please let me know so I can feel a little validated, even if there's just I'm one just person kidding, who babe. didn't know. I'm just kidding. Keep going. All right. So anyway, on February 20th, 2016, the community of Kalamazoo, Michigan would be rattled and changed forever when an Uber driver terrorized their city, leaving multiple victims in his path. It was I around- feel like you just gave everything away, babe. Okay. Tell me who we're talking about, Austin. Tell me exactly what happened. Whose podcast is this? Going? Be quiet. <laughs> I'm setting the mic down. Done. That's fine, because you always mess with it, and it becomes really noisy anyway. So it was around 4 p.m. on that Saturday in 2016 when Matt Mellon requested an Uber to take him to a friend's house. I guess he had left his car there, so the next day he was wanting to go pick it up. At 4.21, he was picked up by a silver Chevy Equinox driven by Jason Dalton. Jason had brought his dog along with him, and the dog was in the back seat. Uber with a dog? Never yeah. heard of it. You've never heard of someone taking their dog with them on an no. Uber? Oh my God. I would like give bonus points if an Uber driver picked me up with a dog in the car. Are you kidding me? Five yeah. stars. Crazy. Extra big tip. Anyway, so Matt sat in the front and they took off towards Matt's friend's house. Within only a mile of Matt's house, Jason received a phone call from his kid. And as soon as he hung up the phone, he started driving erratically. He started running red lights, drove into oncoming traffic, ignored stop signs. He drove through a median strip and even sideswiped a Ford Taurus. Terrified, Matt Mellon begged Jason to stop and let him out, but Jason responded quite calmly saying, don't you need a ride to your friend's house? Don't you want a ride? And refused to stop. So Matt starts yelling at at him to stop, which only made Jason more agitated with Matt. Matt started pointing at random houses to say, that's my friend's house. It's right there. That's my friend's house. Here, just stop here. That's my friend's house. Just hoping that it would make Jason stop the vehicle. And finally, when he did stop, he came to a screeching stop. And Matt jumped out, rolled on the ground, and somebody nearby had heard the screeching. So they came out, and he yelled at them to call 911. 
He gave dispatchers the description of the vehicle and the license plate number, and the dispatcher put on a be on the lookout notification on the vehicle. And the operator operator talking to him came off as very rude because she kept like cutting him off. You know, he was saying, I want to report this vehicle. And she was like, okay, do you want a cop to come meet you or do you want it to just be on the lookout? And he's like, I mean, I don't know. It was just driving really out of control. And she's like, I understand that. What I need to know is if you want a cop to come out and meet you. And she was just... That would piss me off. Yeah, she was really... I mean, especially now, but you also have to understand, though, they get calls all the time for erratic drivers, and the police can't really do anything about it unless they see the erratic driving for themselves. And there was no way of knowing how this day was going to end up, but I'm sure it eventually became a learning opportunity for the dispatcher and the police after all of this happened. But this was only the beginning. So... At this time, Matt also filed a complaint within the Uber app and emailed the app's customer service directly because at this time in 2016, Uber didn't have a customer service phone number, so there was no way he could actually call anyone directly. Man, so many new tech companies do that, Mm -hmm. and it's infuriating. Yeah. You can't call Robinhood. You can't call Airbnb. I don't think if you do, you don't get anybody. Even a lot of these big tech companies, I think Airbnb, like eBay, they have phone numbers, but you can't get anybody. Mm-hmm. It's you call and it's a recording. Yeah, it's this infuriating. And maybe it's a way to save money. Maybe it's because they're starting out as small. You know, at this point, Cal- or, uh, Uber was new to Kalamazoo because remember when it was first coming out, it wasn't in all cities. Like our For city, sure, it was For sure, but they still had here. stupid money. Yeah. But anyway, what I'm saying, though, is that that in itself is terrifying because this person's life was depending on someone else's, you know, mind behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. You know, like Robin, ha- Robin Hood, I get it. It's your money. eBay, it's your money. And I get that. I get the frustration of wanting to talk to someone directly. But in this case, it was a guy's life at stake and possibly future other passengers' lives at stake. Mm-hmm. So anyway, now in 2021, there is an option to call the Uber helpline directly from the app. And you can also call 911, I believe, um, directly through the app. So they've streamlined a way to, you know, file their complaints or, you know, deal with this kind of thing. But anyway, at 434, Jason returned home and he called his wife to ask for the keys to their Hummer H3. She had them with her. So they planned to meet at his parents' house. Before he left, he loaded up some of his weapons. He had a Glock 19 and a bulletproof vest. On the way to meet his wife at 5.15, he got another notification from Uber, and it was a ride request from a 15-year-old girl named Macy who requested that the driver pick up her boyfriend at an apartment complex called The Meadows. When he arrived, Jason didn't see Macy anywhere because I guess the address she gave him Um, was maybe to her apartment, but she actually tried to change it and go to like the main lobby, like the leasing office instead. So he didn't see her. He starts calling her phone to ask where she's at, and he starts getting really upset and irritable with her before he finally just hung up on her. And then he pulls up in that complex, pulls up to a woman named Tiana Carruthers. Tiana was walking her daughter and five other girls over to a friend's house to play, and just as they were about to cross the street, the silver Chevy Equinox pulls up to them, and he drove at like such a high rate of speed that Tiana saw him coming, and she was really aggravated that he was driving that fast when there's kids around. 
So Jason rolls down his window and asks if she is Macy. And Tiana says no, and she admits that she says it kind of rudely because she was pissed that he was driving like that with kids around. Mm -hmm. So he drives off, but Tiana keeps her eyes on him because she notices how fast he's driving through this complex through this complex. He whips his car back around, comes back toward Tiana and the girls, slams on his brakes, pulls out his gun and points it right at Tiana. She screams at the girls to run, run, do not come back. Tiana starts running, but falls after being struck by a bullet. Jason fired 15 rounds and four of them hit Tiana. What? Multiple neighbors heard the shots and came out to see what was going on. Tammy George, one of those neighbors, came out and saw Tiana, who was asking about the girls. Are the girls okay? Are the girls okay? Because they all just ran. And one of the many 911 calls made at the Meadows in that moment, you can hear Tiana asking about the girls. And finally, someone tells Tiana, we've got the girls. And because of Tiana blocking those bullets from hitting the girls, not one girl was harmed. That's insane. So did Tiana live? Tiana was shot four times, with one bullet entering her left thigh, fracturing her femur, another bullet hitting her right thigh, fracturing that femur as well. The third shot hit her um, like upper left arm, and she had to have her whole arm like uh, what do you call it? Like, amputated? No, not amputated, but like um, put back together essentially, like restructured. Yeah, I mean the scar goes from her shoulder to her elbow. It's like a massive scar. Um, And then the last bullet traveled through her abdomen before finally lodging itself in her liver, and it's still there today. She is still alive. She's incredibly lucky to be alive, but yeah. Only one minute after the shooting, Jason's silver Equinox was seen running a red light and sideswiping another vehicle. So this person calls 911 to report the hit and run, and at this point, the Equinox had noticeable damage. So he goes to his parents' house to meet his wife and kids there. When he arrived, he told his wife, Carol, that he was sideswiped by a disgruntled taxi driver who was pissed off that Uber was taking some of their customers. So when he left to continue working, he took his parents' Chevy HHR instead. But before he left, he handed Carol a gun, instructed her not to go to work Monday, not to take the kids to school Monday, and said, I can't tell you what I'm about to do, but when you watch the news tonight, you'll know it was me. What the hell? This guy's a lunatic. And unfortunately, Carol never called authorities that night. And What an idiot. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for Carol because... And we'll, we'll touch on this later, but I mean, there was no way she could have known that this was coming. I mean, he never let on that this was ever going to happen. I feel bad for her because, I mean, I know that she ultimately feels bad for what her husband has done. But when you ultimately say something like that, what did yeah, he say? I mean, His quote was what? I can't tell you what I'm about to do, but when you watch the news, you'll know it was me. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. It is. It is. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just, I'm trying to have a little compassion for Carol because she's not the one who did what her husband did. I mean, obviously in hindsight, she wishes she would have called and warned somebody, but she didn't. Jeez. So he leaves his parents' house and continues picking up fares. But nothing remarkable happens during these rides. The only thing that the passengers noted was that they were expecting a silver Equinox and a little black HHR pulls up. But Jason explained it away, saying he was having car trouble that night and had to take a different car. Which this day and age with Uber, Mm -hmm. you would know not to get in the car. 
Yeah, now. Yeah. But at Back the time, then, yeah. they were like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Gosh. And Jason's picture, like his picture is in the profile. So right. like they can recognize his picture. If he's in a different car, it might he not be. He can talk his. it away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at 10.01 that night, Jason pulled up to a Kia dealership. Rich Smith was there with his son, Tyler, and Tyler's girlfriend, Alexis. Tyler was interested in buying a truck, so they were there after hours just checking some out and came upon a Ford F-150. Alexis stayed in the car while Rich and Tyler were out looking at it, and that's when Jason walks up out of nowhere. And this one just like, man, it really... I don't know, bothers me. I mean, the whole story bothers me, but like you go to dealerships all the time Mm -hmm. and just check out cars after hours. So nobody's bothering you. And to think that that's all they were doing, this father and son were checking out this car that Tyler wanted to get for himself. Mm -hmm. Jason approaches Rich and Tyler and asks them what they're looking at. And just as they turn to to face Jason, to tell them that they're looking at this blue truck, Jason starts shooting Ultimately, he fired 18 rounds, hitting one of them nine times and the other seven times. And Alexis, unseen by Jason, ducked down into the backseat of their Range Rover, fearing for her life after all this just played out right in front of her. Like, can you imagine that? She didn't have her phone on her either. So she had to wait until Jason was gone to get out of the car and go pull Tyler's phone out of his back pocket to call 911. Sick me. Witnesses in the Burger King across the street called 911, including someone who was driving by who witnessed Jason shooting Rich and Tyler and they, they were as they were on the ground. After shooting Rich and Tyler Smith, Jason was gone after appearing to have left on foot. So when police arrived, they had dogs with them to catch Jason's scent, but the scent didn't go far before it ended abruptly, indicating that he likely drove off. Police at the time weren't tying the two incidents together yet because these were two totally different scenarios. Like one guy is in this Chevy Equinox and this other guy is on foot and they're so random. So 10 minutes after that shooting at the Kia dealership, a third shooting occurred at a Cracker Barrel just five minutes away. At 10.21, dispatchers received a phone call from a witness who said multiple shots were fired into cars in the parking lot of Cracker Barrel. This is sickening. See, what an asshole. Why do people... Oh, I like this. Mm-hmm. So a group of friends named Mary Lou Nye, Mary Jo Nye, Judy Brown, Barbara Hawthorne, and a little girl who considered Barbara to be her grandmother named Abby Koff. They had eaten at the Cracker Barrel earlier that night before going to see a performance at a local theater. And after leaving the theater, they were taking one of the ladies back to her car in that parking lot. On the left was a gold minivan, and on the right was a maroon sedan. Jason pulled up and approached Mary Lou Nye in her van. He asked her if she had a dollar to spare to make America great again. And she tells him that she doesn't have any money to spare, so he immediately opens fire on the van. The women in the sedan right next to it start screaming, so he goes over to their car and opens fire on them too. Barb was able to call 911 and some other witnesses called as well. And when police arrived, they're trying to help Barb and realize that no one else appeared to be alive. But then they noticed Abby in the front seat and one of the officers yelled, there's a kid in the front. And he tried getting her attention. He's like, hey, hello, hey, hi, trying to get this little girl's attention. But 
she had obviously suffered from a gunshot to the head. Oh my gosh. See, like I just have rage inside me. Like I want to punch this guy in the face and torture him. Mm -hmm. So after the ambulance took her away, an officer said, one kid is in the ambulance, probably going to die. And even after, like when the news um, trucks and everything showed up, they even mistakenly declared her as already dead, as having already passed away, but she was on her way to the hospital. Meanwhile, Barb is still conscious, and they're trying to get her out of the vehicle to receive help, and one man is telling police that they saw the shooter drive off in a black or dark blue HHR. So Barb and Abby, Abby both make it to the hospital, and their families are called. Abby's parents arrive to find her clinging to life, and Barb had unfortunately passed away just as her nephew arrived at the hospital. Abby's prognosis was so poor that they began removing her life support and started preparing to take her to surgery to harvest her organs when Abby's mom laid her head on her chest as she started to say her goodbyes and told the nurse she swore she could hear a heartbeat coming from her daughter's chest. The nurse comes over to confirm this. Here's the heartbeat as well. So she starts calling in people for help. And Abby's mom says, quote, Abby, if you can hear me, just give me a sign. And Abby squeezed her hand. Oh, my goodness. She miraculously survived being shot in the head and over time learned how to walk and talk again. In an episode of 2020 called The Deadly Ride, Abby is interviewed by Matt Gutman, and it's just amazing to see how far she has come. She carries on conversation with no speech impediments or any other indications that she's survived a gunshot to her freaking head, other than the fact that she does have like a little bit of a dent. I got the freaking goosebumps. In her skull. So, I mean, there's like a little bit of the silver lining that Abby did survive. She's still alive today. And that's crazy. She said, God give me a sign that. and she squeezed her hand. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's nuts. I know. I've been like an emotional mess all day because my best friend had a baby today. But when I was watching the 2020 episode, I was literally just crying. Like watching Tiana Carruthers interview, I'm just crying. Everybody, everybody I'm just like. So there's a long 2020 episode on this? Yeah. So, meanwhile, Jason is still driving around and accepting Uber fares. And at this point, the news of the shootings are being broadcast on the news and radio, so people are becoming a little more aware. However, they're being told that the shooter is driving an Equinox. So when Jason arrives in an HHR, some of his passengers are even asking him if he is the shooter. They're like jokingly saying, are you that guy that's going around shooting people? And he's like, no, I'm just tired. What? Literally, that's what he was saying. No, I'm just tired. Mm-hmm. No, just tired. At 12.36 that night, after pulling over multiple HHRs, police finally approach Jason Dalton's vehicle and pull him over. They approach the vehicle with their guns drawn, and Jason gets out of the car, cuffed, and put into the police car peacefully. Like, didn't put up a fight at all. Oh, I thought you said he got out of the I, I took that out. Like, you said he got out of the car cuffed, like he was already cuffed. And I'm like, what? No, yeah, he got out of the car, he got, got cuffed, cuffed, and then got put into the police car. Yeah. He got out of the car cuffed. I'm like, what are you talking about? No. Um, so who is Bri- or Jason Brian Dalton? Jason Dalton grew up in Indiana and moved to Kalamazoo during high school. In school, he was co-captain of the football team, made good grades, got along well with his peers. As an adult, he married Carol. They had two kids together. They were married for about 20 years, and Jason worked as an insurance adjuster. 
He liked to work on cars. He did have an interest in guns, but all the guns he owned were legally purchased. And those who knew Jason have said that he was always a beat, nice, friendly, gregarious. Nobody saw any of this coming. Jason became an Uber driver shortly after Uber came to the city of Kalamazoo. And he had only been driving for about two weeks, but he was saving up money to take his family on vacation. So he thought this would be a good stream of extra income. And he had decent reviews from previous riders. So what on earth would cause a seemingly normal 45-year-old guy to just snap and go on a murderous rampage? Well, according to Jason, he had an answer. Jason said that on that fateful day in February of 2016, he opened his Uber app and it just took over his body. He said that when the app opened, he saw the Masonic Eastern Star, tapped it, and then the app displayed a devil's head. So he tapped that, and once he tapped that, he said that's when all the problems started. He said, quote, it was red when it first started and switched from red to black. And then when it switches to black mode, it has complete control over you. Oh my gosh. So he's literally claiming that this app completely took over him. And the way he's talking to the investigators, he's like, I know this might sound unusual to you, but you know, this is the deal. The app took over my life. Mm Mm-hmm. Jason had no criminal record, no history of marital trouble, financial trouble, or mental health issues. In fact, his parents had said he was just here for Christmas and he was normal. Everything was fine. So there was literally nothing that could have prepared those who knew him for this. It came as a complete shock. It kind of reminds me of the Chris Watts case because nobody ever would have thought that Chris Watts would be capable of killing his wife and kids but then he did, and it was just like really hard for people to imagine that this quiet guy like kept the to himself. The weird thing about these stories is, is this is so often how it goes. So like often, I would have never expected that. And so here's the thing: mm-hmm. what it really comes down to is like 98 out of 100 people you would never expect to be the killer of people. Mm-hmm. And then That's there's scary. two people where it's like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But like, yeah, no, you never expect anyone to do anything horrible like this stuff. No. So it's always unexpected. We always note that, and I think it's worth noting, like people's um, people telling you what they thought their character was. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting, but that's how it is every time. Almost. Yeah. Because I mean, then you every have time. like the Kansas City butcher, who, I mean, he was kind of a creepy dude, and and Todd Colehep, and the guy that just um, the guy that killed. Um, I said two Kevin out of a, Bacon. I said two out of a hundred. We've done fifty episodes, yeah, that's and true. I bet there's like three people. So probably six out of a hundred would be expected. Yeah. But yeah, like ninety four out of a hundred, or like yeah, no, you would never think that. Yeah. See, I think it's reverse. I think like more often. Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm saying more the often of it's someone you would, you would never, expect. No, majority of time you would never expect it. Really? I I don't think so. It's like every episode we talk. It's like, and this person was well, a yeah. These are the ones that stick that out. Yeah, but that's just because these are the ones that stick out. Like these are the ones that are so notable because, and I think that's why it makes it. I mean, obviously his case was an extreme because it was an Uber driver. I mean, like it's just something so out of the blue, but there are so many other serial killers we haven't covered who have shown signs. But like when stuff happens on the news, all the shit they report, it's always Mm -hmm. like, man, he was such a good guy. We would have never seen this coming. Yeah. That's what you always hear. 
I don't know. I mean, I feel like with some people you can see it coming. Like, you know, it always manifests from, you know, someone being a dick to animals to then, you know, abusing children yeah. and eventually adults or whatever. Like, you, you can kind of see a trend. And then there's some people who just, out of nowhere, just snap. Yeah. Yeah. The book I'm reading right now, it's called... I think it's called Tell No One. And I'm not going to be on that episode if she ever talks about it. I don't think I'm going to talk about it. It's about um, Michelle Notek, and her last name is spelled K-N-O-T-E-K. It is horrible what this woman did. I mean, and it starts out from her childhood, and you can see how her behavior manifested over time. Like, she started out as a bratty-ass kid who had, like, really weird, like, terrorizing type of behavior. Um, and then it manifested into adulthood where she became a serial killer. So like there's things. And what's the book called in case there's any other weirdos like you? I think it's called Tell No One. But if you look up Michelle No Tech book, then it'll come up. I'm like about three quarters of the way through right now. That's what I chose to read on vacation. How weird am I? But anyway. So back to the story. Um, when it came time for legal proceedings, he was tested for his mental competence. Compen- oh my God. I mental always competency. freaking struggle with this word competency and passed during one preliminary hearing on May 20th, exactly three months after the shootings, Tiana Carruthers, the victim of the first attack was on the stand testifying when Jason starts blurting out a bunch of nonsense about bags, like old people with old black bags. And before his attorney is like urging him to stop talking, Tiana starts crying and is trying to compose herself when he starts yelling, take it, take it, take it, which causes Tiana to just just completely lose it. And you have to remember, this is only three months after she was shot four times by this psychopath. He's just saying a bunch of nonsense. First, he's saying it's the bags. It's those old black bags and those old people. And then they, you know, he's just blabbering. It's a bunch of nonsense. So... The officers in the courtroom grab him by his orange jumpsuit and they start leading him out of the courtroom and he's refusing to get out of the chair. And he's a big guy. He looks like he's like 12 months pregnant in this jumpsuit. And they're, they're like guiding him out of the courtroom and he just lets his feet start dragging. Much like you would see like a temper tantrum from a four-year-old and like a target who didn't get what he wanted, like getting dragged out of the store by his feet, refusing to help walk. That is what he's doing. And it's clear he's just trying to act like a crazy person and take advantage of this situation while he's in front of a judge so that he can claim that he's insane. And on June 6th, his attorneys announced that they will be presenting an insanity defense. So he had to go, he had to go, um, like undergo another psychiatric evaluation and it was supposed to last for at least 60 days. And the trial kept getting stalled and pushed back. And the results of his evaluation finally came back and showed that he did not meet the requirements for an insanity defense, that he was mentally competent, even though he was just acting like a lunatic. So on January 17th, or I'm sorry, January 7th of 2019, Jason finally gives up, pleads guilty to all the counts against him, which included six counts of murder, two counts of assault with intent to commit murder, and eight counts of using a firearm during the commission of a felony. And he was sentenced to life in prison with no chance for parole. Freaking idiot. Yeah. I mean, man. What's his wife say after? I don't know. I know that she feels horrible for the families. I mean, you have to think like this woman had 
she's kind of a victim in this too. Like she had nothing to do with what her husband did. He just snapped and went off the deep end and she had no idea that it was coming, had no idea it was happening until he, you know, made that weird paranoia type of comment. But like now she has to live with this and she's got two kids that she has to raise whose dad did this. I mean, I feel really bad for them also. Yeah. I feel bad for all of them, but I, I do mean, like that sucks, and I'm sure if I like really try to put myself in those shoes, I can see like where you have empathy for them. Mm-hmm. But man, it's just like I get they yeah. didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. What an idiot! Yeah, yep, big time douche. So anyway, that is the story of the deadly Uber driver, Jason Dalton. Share it like crazy. We if appreciate you. Yes, we do appreciate you a ton. We're coming out with some new stickers. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited because I finally learned how to make my own stickers as far as like um, doing fonts on Procreate. So I have some new stickers coming out that were really truly designed by me. Like they have her handwriting in them. My whole my whole handwriting and everything. It's so exciting. Okay, so anyway, we'll be back on Monday with another episode. Hey, please share the podcast because that's how we grow. Yes, thank you. We don't run ads. We don't do anything like that. Mm -mm. So we don't like run ads to promote the podcast. It relies on you sharing it. So share an episode, please, on your story. Thank you so much. We'll see you Monday. Mama. Mystery. Out. Bye.